we went with SWAT with Doc, there was a guy in a warehouse with a long gun. And so I would send Doc out on a 30 foot leash. And if I got nothing, we'd reel him back and the whole team would move up. When we got that aha moment from Doc, I reeled him back, SWAT took over, and the guy was there. Welcome to Canine Top Tales. I am your host, Sonia Nordstrom, a retired FBI special agent and 25-year canine handler and trainer, coming to you from the Heimdaller Canine Ranch in the beautiful, currently wintry and cold mountains of Utah. I'm so excited to feature my guest today. She's one of a small number of women who have really paved the way for female handlers in the patrol and detection canine world. She's one of the hardest working folks in the industry and has walked the walk as a handler starting back in 1987. Throughout her canine career and continuing after she retired from law enforcement, she ran her own kennel, breeding, training, and selling dogs for law enforcement throughout the country and working detection canines at a variety of venues. She's trained thousands of dogs and worked with countless numbers of handlers through the decades. Humble and unassuming, a true blue and respected individual who always puts the well-being of the canines and the officers they serve first. She's an advocate for canine throughout the state of Utah and has hosted and or judged the Utah Police Officers Association canine trials for many years. She is a no-muss, no-fuss, and definitely not one to lavish in the limelight or sing her own praises, but I will because it is very well-deserved. So without further delay, I really hope you will all enjoy this interview with my guest today, Rose Cox, retired Salt Lake City Police Department canine handler and longtime trainer. Rose Cox, welcome to Canine Top Tales, and thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing? I'm great, Sonia. How are you? Good. So, Rose, um, I think a lot of people probably don't know your history, so I'd like to start with that. Um, you were a police officer with Salt Lake City Police Department, and when did you join them, and what was the impetus for that? Actually, I started with the Department of Corrections in 87. Utah Department of Corrections? I did. Okay. I uh, moved to Salt Lake and I went to the police academy. When I got out of the academy, I tested for canine and I got on canine. Did you have any sort of canine history before that? Nope. I knew you were kind of a cowgirl. Yes. And yes. Pretty I was raised on a ranch. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're definitely not, um, not a wilting flower when it comes to that sort of thing. No. Um, so you got right into canine right on right off the bat i did so and i'm guessing you were probably the first female no actually they had had one before me who was in patrol yes we were we were called the enforcement division for corrections so we were on the exterior of the prison and the canines were responsible for uh, fugitive apprehensions and yard checks, all that kind of stuff. In fact, that's where Fred House was. Did you have any fun chase them down fugitives? Any good stories there? You know there? what? <laughs> oh, we went all over the state chasing people and airplanes and whatnot. But um, just different stuff. It's been so long ago. Oh, my gosh. I had the Tasmanian Devil. Who was, was that? the name of my dog. It was a Malinois. 
Wow. So that's back in 87. Yeah. When uh, they got them in, they were some of the first mouths in the state. But when they came in, my dog, they had been feeding him through a uh, concealed sleeve because they couldn't get in the kennel with him. Oh, great. <laughs> and so, yeah, when I got in canine, they said, when you can get him out of the kennel, you can have him. How long did that take? You know, I did fine with them, and they made me run or, you know, keep him in a muzzle for the first two or three days so he wouldn't kill me. He never did go after me. He was a great dog. Was he a he big boy or? No, nope, he was your average size Malinois. He was just nasty. Okay. And where was he imported from, Germany or Holland or? You know, I would guess Germany, but I couldn't swear to that. Okay. And then how long did you do that? I was there until 90. That's when I went to work for Salt Lake City. And were you able to go stay in canine or did you have to take some time off between? I took some time, a little bit of time off, not a lot, about a year, I think. And then I went at this, at that time I was helping Wendell at the police or at the canine Academy for post. Okay. In the interim. So they and kind of knew you when you put in for it. Yes. Was that dual purpose, narcotics and patrol, or was it just patrol or tracking? For, or? for the academy? Well, no, when you got your dog with Salt Lake. It was dual purpose. Okay. In fact, they recruited me. I'd been training with the canines because they had a nasty dog. And they wanted me to take him. Okay. They were going to euthanize him if I didn't take him. Okay. So I did. And how did he work out? What was his name? Ingo. He was phenomenal. Ingo. Was he a shepherd or a male? He was a big shepherd. He weighed 96 pounds on a thin day. Wow. And how long did you, were you able to work him? I worked him until about 96. The first part of 96. Okay. And did they start, were they at that time when you first started, were they integrating the dogs in with SWAT or did that come later? We kind of worked into that towards the end of my, of that dog. No one wanted, they didn't recognize Ingo when I had him because they'd been so afraid of him. So a lot of officers wouldn't go on building searches with me if they figured it was him. <laughs> and one of his, this is one of my favorite. Um, we had some, um, Sonia, I'm sorry, but an FBI agent called for a building search during the day and they called me out and I said, here's the rules of Ingo. You have to stay close enough to touch me. You have to stay right on my back. And they kept convincing me to send, resend the dog, resend the dog. And it was in a big basement type area, huge. And I could hear him tick, 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 you know, and the toenails. <laughs> yeah. So he had circled around, come back behind an FBI agent and bit him on the butt. Don't be sorry for that. I'm sure he yeah. deserved it. <laughs> they, well, they got too far behind me. I didn't realize they had fallen back so far. 
Oh God, that's kind of funny. Was it a bad bite or was it a good bite? <laughs> it wasn't too bad. Okay. Well, it's, you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. Um, and it was probably blank and the dog was frustrated because he said, I've told you it's blank 15 yep. times. Yep. That's yep. Exactly, exactly what happened. Yeah. Well, fair enough. That's the way it works. <laughs> um, did you have any other particularly memorable capers with Inga? Oh, we had a lot of things. It just, it's been a while. You know, I chased someone out through the middle of undeveloped city property and forgot my leash, left my truck running, and uh, the guy was going to give up, so we were handcuffing him, and then he decided to fight with me, and Ingo took over and dropped him. He grabbed him by the thigh is all and dropped the guy, and I told Ingo to let go, and Ingo dropped the guy immediately, and I had no help and no leash, but I did have handcuffs, so I ended up escorting the guy out. With a nice a nice dog escort? Yep. That can be very intimidating. <laughs> yeah. And I know that you, so was it when you were first working with Wendell at the Academy that you did some Germany trips? No, that came in 97. I continued to, to teach at the Academy for Wendell for years, but... They asked me to judge at the international trials in Germany on that in 97. Nice. Yeah, it was fun. And was that, so is that the PSP? No, no, it was the Bundesliga. It was a Bundesliga. Um, can you describe a little bit about what that is? Because maybe some people, some people will know, but some people won't. Know. Yeah. Well, there's like 70 different countries that come together to compete. And they, at the time, they were competing with a very structured competition. It was set up so that, and I assisted in the protection phase of the, the testing. There were, I think, 80 dogs. I was the only one who didn't speak German, and none of <laughs> them spoke English, so we managed. <laughs> but everybody spoke beer, right? Yes. It seemed real odd to me when everyone was going to get beer at lunchtime. Yeah, it's, it's like water. It's just not that special. Yeah. It's just perfectly fine. Was that kind of an eye-opener? Did, did you see things that sparked? differences when you came home, things that you wanted to do differently, or was it more of a sport versus functional street work stuff? Or, You know, I competed myself quite a bit with John Ritchie back in the day. Ritchie was one of, I learned so much from that man, him and Wendell. But, you know, we, my dog could always function on the street if I could function in a trial. The more, okay. the more you train, the better your dog is. And, and you have to train for the street. You know, you have to have a valid dog. Well, you have to have a dog that'll go through the fight. That right. sport doesn't sometimes bring. But precision begets precision, correct? Correct. And you don't require precision until you're on a sport field. Correct. In the and, same way. So. Right. And, you know, back in the day, we didn't do trailing. And as... Towards the end of my career, we started trailing, and it was like that was the big eye-opener. What an amazing 
talent the dogs have to trail. Yeah, it's, well, and, and why do we even use a dog? Their nose. And exactly. so why don't we let the dog use its best asset? <laughs> so it kind of all makes sense. Um, so right. after Ingo, who did you get? Doc. And what was Doc? He was a German Shepherd. Okay. Was, was the Shepherd kind of your preference after having a few partners? No, not necessarily. I chose, like you said, you've got to have someone that will go through the fight that's tough and drivey and all of that stuff. And it didn't matter to me what kind of fur they had, honestly. And was this a big, big Shepherd again? Or I mean, some people like, I mean, some people like a really small bullet kind of dog. Other people sort of want the heft. And I think even over the years, that has changed what people sort of look for. There were the big, Absolutely. huge shepherd, huge yeah. Rottweilers. And then people like, you know, throwing them in the attic's kind of nice and throw windows kind of nice. So yeah, exactly. I wonder if you saw that evolution. Well, I kind of went for that evolution because Ingo was heavy. Doc wasn't near that big. I bet he finally weighed 70, 75 pounds. What do you remember most about Doc? Um, he bit me a lot. He was kind of a jerk. But that was kind of when we got into the trailing. I remember trailing through the streets of Salt Lake City, going eight blocks. And now looking back at the time, I didn't think about it because that's, we were training all the time. But watching him in my mind's eye, I see him trailing through people and up to the doors of, you know, we chase someone through an apartment building out to the handler in the back. And we'd gone past numerous people who were just standing, staring at us. And so, you know, it just, dogs never cease to amaze me. They're talented. He really locked in on his target. Oh boy. Well, he was just trailing, man. He was on the scent. What was sort of the, I think things have ramped up in just the time I've been in this area in the last decade plus, but how active were you guys in those times? We were busy most of the time. Was it a full-time thing or a, you did patrol and then you'd get a call? Yeah, we, we were, it depended on who was in charge of us. Sometimes we had to answer calls. If we did, they usually had us take the back on a call or back up another officer so that we didn't get locked into a, a lot of reports and miss a canine call. I can picture specific moments with my dogs. Definitely picture the turn of the head, the change of the body, whatever. Do you have any of those that you can think of? We went with SWAT with Doc. There was a guy in a warehouse with a long gun. And so I would send Doc out on a 30 foot leash. And if I got nothing, we'd reel him back and the whole team would move up. When we got that aha moment from Doc, I reeled him back, SWAT took over, and the guy was there. So wow. that was kind of one of those. And then the when we had squad photos, I don't know how the photographer caught it, but he and I were looking at each other like, don't do it, you jerk. It's so funny. They get to the point where they're just a part of your life. You know, they just, uh, I don't know. I could never leave Ingo with anybody. I tried to leave him at a 
a boarding kennel once and he tried to kill them. They called me before I got to the gate and said, you can't leave him here. So that dog, I never went anywhere without that dog because I couldn't leave yeah. him anywhere. Heimdaller Canine Services, a supplier of top quality canines for personal, family, and executive protection. Heimdaller conducts hands-on selection from the finest breeders and kennels in Europe to locate top-tier dogs selected for their courage, stability, sociability, and health. We personally deliver the dog to you and provide training to help you integrate your new Heimdaller dog into your life. You can find information regarding Heimdaller Protection Canines on our website www.heimdollark9.com or contact us via email at heimdollark9, H-E-I-M-D-A-L-L-R-K-9 at gmail.com. We are happy to answer any questions you may have regarding adding a protection dog to your home and look forward to hearing from you. I mean, were these, these were tough dogs? Were they kennel dogs? Were they... No, they you know, stayed I, in my house. They stayed in your house with you. Did they stay in your room with you or did yes. they stay in a crate or... Okay. No, they so they were your buddies. House. Yep. Were they protective of your children? Very. Absolutely. Interesting. It was so funny because Ingo was such a jerk that when the kids would fight, he would circle them and bark. Like, I don't, I don't know which one that should have their butt kicked, but maybe both. <laughs> but never an incident. No, not with kids. That's, that's kind of a, I, I hate to say, I think that's kind of a shepherd thing. Um, Very possible. They, yep. They seem to have just enough level headedness to know that mm, not really supposed to take out the kids, but I can reprimand them a little bit. Yeah. Could be. And then who came after Doc? Actually, that's when I went to Single Purpose Bomb Dogs. Oh, okay. And was that with the department still? Yes. Okay. And so were they floppy-eareds? Yep. Or pointy-eareds? Okay. I had a beagle and a lab. A beagle? Yes. And where did that dog come from? Did you train it up? I did. I had the beagle, and the kids said, Mom, don't let our dog get blown up. Oh, no. You had you already had the dog and then I just did. To train I it up? bought her as okay. a pup and then the idea came the Olympics were coming and you know, every time I would train people would try and fool her and put odors way high and do things and they, they never could fool her. It was great. And so you worked the Olympics I in two thousand two? I did. And where were you stationed for that? I was a rover. Actually, we were in charge of the searching the uh, uh, city building every day. Okay. But I was a rover, and I had help, and I was helping also with the uh, retraining or maintenance maintenance for all the dog teams. We had I would set up different venues, and I worked with the Secret Service handlers or trainers. And we would bring them in and set up scenarios so they could pay their dogs because it was getting how many old. dogs how many dogs came in for the Olympics? I want to say sixty eight if I remember wow. correctly. Yeah, there were so a you lot. were super busy. You were, busy. <laughs> you were super busy. And I got called on and... yeah. I got called on several bomb threats up in the Ogden area. 
And then the last, and I don't know if anyone remembers, but there was a bomb go off out at the. One of the power stations. Yes. And no one called me right away, but I want to say a week later, and I, I had enough crime scene training from blast that when they showed me the pictures, I said, I don't even need to take a dog there. I can tell you there was a bomb go off here. And uh, they, the, one of the gals that worked for us said, if Raya tells me it's, it was a bomb, then I'll believe her. And so we went and searched. We found the tips of the blasting cap. We found all kinds of stuff. And right where the crater was, she sniffed through it. And they said, well, send her through it again. It's like, okay. She indicated, of course. But the second time she went through, she stuck her nose in, scratched it, and sat down and looked at me like, I told you. So. Um, And I'm surprised they wouldn't have had you come in for a secondary. Because isn't that, I mean. Oh, they didn't call me until two weeks later. Yeah. I yeah, mean, it seems kind of crazy to not call a dog in to sweep it for a secondary. That's I don't think they even told anyone it had gone off for a long huh. time, to be honest huh. with you. And then we went on a on a warrant service to search the guy's place that actually said it. So after working, you know, the, for lack of a better term, the cool, sexy, tactical stuff, what do you think has kind of been the most almost fun or rewarding or or interesting or challenging? Oh man, it's so hard to say because in the last I want to say seven years, I've trained probably two hundred dogs a year, and there's nothing that makes me that's more poetic to me than watching a dog do what you've trained them for and to do it without your help and to love it. And yet when I teach classes and the patrol stuff and at the end watching the students and their dogs perform like you've trained them to, there's nothing better. It is beautiful to watch a dog that has clarity and purpose and enthusiasm. I, every time I get the dog out of the car, I'm like, why am I not this excited to get to work? Right. Why aren't people this excited to get to work? Exactly. But the dogs just live for it. They're just wiggling out of their skin. Well, and, you know, one of my favorite things, too, is the new handlers who really trust their dogs. They aren't jaded like the rest of us who kind of go, I don't know, you know, my dog, <laughs> I don't know. But they just trust their dog, and it always turns out right. Yeah. And for the last 10 or so years, probably 10 plus, you've been retired, but not retired. And you've been training 200 dogs a year. Are those um, dogs you've raised, dogs you've bred, dogs you've brought in? I know I've sent a couple of rescues your way that you've made into good dogs. I actually did as much as I could with shelters and stuff, but it got to the point people didn't want them to not sit by the fire. So that got to be difficult. I've raised a lot of German short hairs, which I have fallen in love with the breed because they remind me of a Malinois with their drive and yet they're non-threatening. So labs, short hairs. And they like to snuggle. Oh my, (laughs) yes, they do. 
So, um, and, and you were doing bomb work with them, right? Uh, yes. Not only just teaching and raising and breeding them, but you were also out working. We them, worked correct? contracts. Yes. I've okay. been all over the country working contracts. So, uh, sports venues, arenas, all of the above. Kind of yep. And okay. in St. Louis and, uh, uh, I want to say non-denominational religious type thing. Okay. Several times we've worked the NRA conventions. Um, I worked Mount Rushmore right after 9-11. Just a lot of things. So it, this is sort of an off question, but if you're training a bomb dog, would they not be kind of, are they proofed off of firearms? I would no. think at NRA there would be a ton of firearms. <laughs> I would think they'd be indicating everywhere. You know what? I was working. It was for, oh, the Red Sundance movie thing. And yep, Redford. So it was on 3rd South, and they wanted me to work the crowd as they were coming in. And a plainclothes officer, and I didn't know who he was at the time, comes walking around the crowd and just busting up to us for and he got like 30 feet away and my dog broke loose and went over and sat by him. And I said, uh -oh. <laughs> are, are you armed? And he said, yes. So yes, they will indicate on firearms, but I think you have to take everything into consideration too. When we worked military venues, and they're carrying hand grenades and all kinds of things. Yes, my dogs will indicate on them. But you take so that So how do you work through, but it's all the context. So you just have to right. kind of say, okay, you're you good. You kind of good, pay them and say, good girl, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. But they would be busy alerting all over the place is my point. Well, it depends on, you have to see where we worked. You know, they, they're not right up on top of you and you're searching the car. So when they're done searching the car and they come up to these, military folks and yes sometimes they'll indicate but they're not right on top yeah. of the dog so yeah and so what do you have now right now i've got four german short hairs in a mix and they're all sleeping on your bed with you three of them are <laughs> <laughs> that's all i have room for and then your horse would be in there with you too if he could be i've seen he pictures would, of him. yes he would be if he could fit he comes and knocks that's on my door every morning um, if you were to give advice to people who are interested in being handlers, whether it's detection or because now the detection world has exploded with all these different things, um, you know, gas leak detection and mold detection and bed bug detection and all these. And I think you've done a lot of these things. Um, what advice would you give to someone who wants to maybe be a detection handler as a civilian in a contract um, type of environment? Um it's so much more work than you even imagine. It becomes almost cultish, like a cult, because you live it. And you can't just go home and park your car and go in the house. You now have a living, breathing creature, and everything you do affects that dog. Everything you train them to do or train them or let them do affects their behavior and their success or failure 
exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I, I think, unfortunately, um, I think that there are some huh, programs that are set up where the motivation is a pay increase or a, or a promotion rather than a real drive to be a good dog handler and to meet the mission. I agree. And I think maybe that's where maybe some of the civilian handlers are doing it because they really want it rather than, okay, I'm in this department and I'm going to promote up and, and this is a stepping stone. Yes. So, I, I saw um, a lot of that, you know, where people are willing to, to grind it out. And a lot of times I use dog handlers from the police department that got stepped on really hard that didn't get canine and yet they were so talented and so capable and willing to do it on their own time. And it's like, I want that one. Any other specific um, words of wisdom or, or things that you think people should know about, you know, I, I'm, I, I always hesitate to focus on the female handler thing, but you know, you're not that much older than I am, but I know that you had to break glass ceilings it, it, to be as, as accepted as you were to lay the groundwork for other female handlers. It's not an easy road. No, and, no, it isn't. Um, were, was there a particular time when you feel that you were sort of really kind of like, okay, wow, she's really the bomb and she gets it and I trust her. Or was it always kind of this, oh, I don't want the chick handler. Well, I, uh, tested for SWAT when I tested for canine and we had to do all the same things that the men did and I did all of those and at the end of the SWAT school and I knew this well let me put it like this I heard this from the, the SWAT guys who were my friends and I'd already handled a dog so you know I still trained and I still had a, a German Shepherd and and whatnot but uh, a lieutenant who is now retired so I guess I can say this said I don't think we're ready for a female on SWAT yet and that's uh, I, it came back to me which you know it's neither here nor there it's gone and done but it kind of ticked me off and right after that they offered me canine and he happened to be the lieutenant over canine at the same time. And he called me in his office and he said, I'm so disappointed in you. I thought you were going to go for SWAT. And I said, I don't think you're ready for a female on SWAT yet, are you? <laughs> so. How did he respond? He didn't. Okay. Was he ready for a female on canine? Because a lot of canine it, it, around the country, a lot of canine is not ready for female handlers. You know, still, um, I don't know. You knew John Ritchie. Yes. You know what? He was one of my very best friends of ever. And we trained together off duty and on duty. Our dogs were good. And I just never felt anything different from him or okay. the guys on, on canine. And I grew up in a men's world because I was raised on a ranch. And so I, my dad didn't have the option to hire 
the hired hands when he had a, a daughter. So I got to do a man's work and I was raised in a man's world. And so I guess it sounds like was, you worked with a good group that took you at face value. I did. I did. And I was yeah. very grateful for that. I will always be grateful. And Wendell um, never treated me differently. And I appreciate that. Yeah. And it sounds like you earned every bit of it, which is good. <laughs> well, my dad always, my dad never allowed us, not allowed because he was not mean or anything, but it was just never an exception. You just did what you were told. And I, when I moved to the middle of nowhere, a lot of times I would be thinking, well, I can't do that. Then I'd stop for a minute think to myself, well, what's your option, princess? So <laughs> you just do what you need to do. So, you know, if, if you're getting in canine, you know, work out, get tough, and don't complain. That's the last thing you want to do is complain. Yeah. I've always said that there's a place kind of for everybody, right? It, it's, you know, there was that dog that didn't want to be with anybody else. He needed somebody like you. Apparently so, yeah. But I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a touch, I think, that comes. And one of my mottos is, good dog, good handler, bad match. Right. And it doesn't work out. And sometimes it's just about finding that, that good match and that good temperament match where one isn't fueling the other and where one could decompress the other and it seems to come together. Anything else you'd like to share? Wow, I can't think of anything. It's been a while since I worked for the PD. I just um, would say treat your dog like they're your partner because they are. And if you make them look good, they'll make you look good. Those are good. Those are good closing words. I appreciate those. Well, I love talking to you, Rose, and I thank you so much for all the many years of service and for paving a positive path for women in canine and everything else you've done. Thank you, Sonia. It's good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. Thanks so much. Well, that's it for this episode of Canine Top Tales. I hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, please leave us a kind review. Come back for some more, and don't forget to hug your dogs. Take care, everyone. Mm -hmm.